Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Judson. I am a good and worthwhile person. I am worthy of recovery, and I am recovering today from my sex addiction. Um, I am going to be looking down frequently to consult my notes because I don't want to forget something that I wanted to share. Um, The first thing I wanted to share um, is uh, I, I, I... I saw a comment in the chat about shame, and I wanted to start just saying, I don't believe it's my fault that I have a sex addiction. I did not pop into this world and say, when I grow up, I want to be a sex addict. I believe sex addiction is a disease, just like epilepsy, uh, diabetes, cancer, um, And if somebody has a flare-up, like my friend who has uh, epilepsy and she has a little seizure, which I would equate to a slip, I don't go over and smack her and say, you should be ashamed that you had a seizure and your disease popped up. I say, I'm sorry that your disease popped up and it's not necessarily your fault. You need to keep taking your medicine. But there's no shame in it. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, I also was thinking about, uh, you know, when I report my sobriety date, I report my SA technical sobriety date. Uh, but my belief is that true sobriety includes pro- progressive victory over lust. And for me, when I take a second look at somebody who's jogging past or take a a second glance at a magazine on the way out of the uh, grocery store, for me, that's taking a drink. So I would equate that as uh, taking a drink. And so you can count me as a chronic slipper. As my sponsor has told me, much to my chagrin, uh, I am just as powerless today as the first day I walked in. And uh, if anybody knows the story of Superman, he's powerless over kryptonite. And in all of the stories, he never gets more power over kryptonite. He is always uh, powerless over kryptonite. So anyway, that's my first kind of comment about that. Um, So, I knew that I had a problem with pornography when I was about 16 or 17. Um, Oh, by the way, that reminds me a totally separate thing, but I wanted to mention it. We had a newcomer uh, a couple weeks ago who shared their age as 16. Um, 
in at least the United States, you are not allowed to attend an SA meeting unless you are an adult. In the U.S., that's age 18. If there are any countries um, where the age of adulthood is 16, please let me know in the chat so I can uh, invite this person to attend uh, those meetings. Or if anybody's interested in helping me address this issue, I'm thinking maybe someday we need to have a essay for teens or something like that, but it won't be part of the current essay um, because of the restriction that essay has put on age. Um, but back to what I was saying, there's a, I had a, I knew I had a problem with pornography at age 16 and 17 at age 19. I asked a counselor about it who was in an addiction treatment facility um, that I was attending uh, for a family member. And that person said, oh, no, it's not a problem. It's not an addiction. Don't worry about it. So it took me seven more years to talk to a counselor about uh, that. And that person said, yes, indeed. <clears throat> it is uh, it is an, addic an addiction. And, uh, and that person uh, referred me to Harvey, who... Uh, who interviewed me in his office before he would let me know the secret location of the SA meeting in Nashville. Uh, and I passed his test, so they let me come. But that's not what my sponsor wants me to share. Um, he doesn't want me to, well, he, <laughs> he's more interested today, at least he told me in me sharing, uh, at least as I understood it, that I haven't masturbated or looked at pornography in over 34 years. Um, I've been married for 32 years. Uh, we still have a super happy, close, intimate relationship with no secrets and no shame and an ability to communicate, share our feelings. You know, it's, it's, it works pretty dang good. Uh, I've had a good, responsible working career. Uh, I have two wonderful children who are happy. They're happy to be with me. They're happy to talk with me. We don't have any secrets. Uh, they seem pretty well adjusted. In short, I've enjoyed a life and still enjoy it today that most people really want and that I always wanted. I have everything I've always wanted. And it's because of essay one day at a time because of my recovery. Um, so the program is not just about acting out. It's about, as my sponsor might say, Maintaining a serene spiritual condition one day at a time. And when I say spiritual, I, I'm, I'm not intending the word to mean religious. I'm intending the word to mean, I don't know, peace of mind, I guess. So maintaining, as you know, it says in the a big book, uh, we, uh, we have a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. 
And for me, the spiritual condition that I try to maintain with the help of people in the program is not obsessing, not in fear, not with resentment, not in fear, not thinking about my childhood trauma, not in fear. And did I mention fear? So it's about staying in today and being safe. Um, It's a way of life that works. That's what the program gives me. So now I'm going to read (laughs) some from chapter five uh, in the AA big book to kind of jump into going to any lengths because this was really important to me. And I don't know why it's been impressed on me so much, but I'm going to read a little bit and I'm going to uh, draw attention to and emphasize a few words. This is chapter five of the AA big book on page 58. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. And in the next paragraph, if you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. It doesn't say... If you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to a lot of lengths to get it, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say you're willing to to try really hard. It doesn't say that. It says you're willing to go to any length to get it. Then you're ready to take certain steps. And I read that last part, you're ready to take certain steps referring to the next page, which is the 12 steps. So the way I read it is, Judson, you're not even ready to start taking the steps. You're not even ready to start unless you are willing to go to any length. And to underline that point, uh, on page 90 of the same book, a big book, talking about which is working with others uh, and it's, and and this is middle of the page third paragraph ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to to do so ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so it doesn't say ask the the person if they are willing to come to meetings. It doesn't say ask the person if they are willing to to come to three meetings a week. It doesn't say ask the person if, if they would be willing to try really hard. And it doesn't say some, it's, it's, it says any extreme to do so. And it's not just an extreme. But it is any extreme. Ask him if he wants to quit for good and would be willing to go to any extreme to do so. 
And the p two paragraphs before, it's talking about when you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste your time trying to persuade him. I kind of read that as if somebody's not ready to go to any extreme. Anyway, and then, then further on, back in Chapter 5, um, it says, with all the earnestness that our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. The result was nil until we let go pretty much. It doesn't say that. Absolutely. And then lastly, uh, page 59 up there, half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We ask his protection and care with complete abandon. And that word complete, again, is, I mean, I almost feel like it's its the kind of thing where you, you know, are standing, maybe they have a, those little exercises in therapy groups, you know, where you, the people are going to catch you. So you have to close your eyes and, and fall backwards and they have to catch you and you have to really trust or like closing your eyes and standing on the edge of the, of a pool and falling backwards into the water. It's kind of like, okay, I'm going to completely let go. So um, so what does it mean? For me, I've heard an AA, they, they, some people suggest a 90 and 90. I think for me to recover from SA, it's more like, a 180 and 180 or a 360 and 360. When I got back from, uh, I couldn't stay sober the first two months. Um, my counselor said, there's a treatment program. You can go uh, to learn more about it and do an intensive. So I did that. Um, and when I came back, I went to seven to 10 meetings a week. Uh, they didn't have SA meetings enough, so I went to open AA meetings. Um, I made three calls a day. I had a little list that uh, some people have called uh, personal craziness index, but it was really a checklist for me, which is, am I making my calls every day? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting a little bit of exercise? Am I doing the things that the people who have recovered or maybe the counselors who have seen a lot of people recovered know that works. Um, I didn't try to think and decide. So if life is a large, complicated city and I want to get to the other side and I don't know it at all and I don't have a map and I'm on one side and there's a bunch of experienced cab drivers next to me. Do I just go venture off and try to find my way across the city? Or do I walk over to the cab drivers and say, guys, what's the best way for me to go to get across the city? They've done it before. They know it. That's what, for me, is... Uh, important about sticking with the winners and on 
tell you a funny story. Um, the person that uh, I thought made the most sense to me, uh, well, there are three people I asked to be a sponsor. And, uh, and the person with the most recovery at the time was Harvey in our meeting with two and a half years. And he said, sure, you can call me as much as you want. Harvey was a little rough for me. Well, I don't mean rough. Tough is the right word. Straightforward. I was a wimp. I couldn't take Harvey straight. So I kind of latched on to somebody that he sponsored so I could get all of his wisdom secondhand filtered a little more gentle for Judson. Um, but uh, one guy who had seemed to me to have what I wanted um, with uh, a monstrous nine uh, – nine months sobriety at the time, I said, would you sponsor me? He said, no, I won't. I can't. I, I got too much going on. I'm too busy. But you can call me. So I've called him nearly every day for the last 34 years. And uh, after about four or five years, I, uh, I said to him, I said, you know, I kind of consider you my sponsor. He said, yeah, 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 I know. Um, but, uh, stick with the winners, get the cab driver who knows the city. And if I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm partway through and I get lost again and I'm, you know, in an alleyway, I don't know which way to go. Do I just pick a way that looks right to me or do I walk over to one of the several cab drivers who are there and say, Hey, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. Which way should I go? I mean, what's the most common thing? sense thing to do stick with the winners find the people who have what you want and call them and sponsors aren't perfect if you hear something that sounds a little goofy um, and you're not sure like a cab driver says well, you should go this way but it's like well, that doesn't make sense to me i don't decide on my own at a minimum i go ask three other cab drivers just to confirm that it's the right way and I go that right way. Or if it's, there's a difference of opinion, I'll take the majority, but I won't think myself. So what about going to any lengths? <sighs> Memorizing phone numbers, um, the essay salute, which is if I'm driving and I see somebody who has a trigger on the road and they're to my right, I might put my hand up so that I can't see them. And then I figured out that I could look around my hand with my left eye. So I had to learn to close my left eye. So I had tunnel vision just for the time I'm passing that person. And then I practiced it on each side so I could do it quickly. Um, it's not that that's a tool that anybody needs to use, but it's what are the things that I can do um, that will keep me off the battlefield. If I am confronted with a trigger, I will look. It's just a matter of time because I'm powerless, because I have a disease. So um, anything to avoid igniting the craving. It says in the doctor's opinion in uh, a big book that uh, that that a drink 
ignites the craving to have more. So how do I stay off of my battlefields? Because if I see it and it triggers me, then I then then the craving is ignited. So it might be. Um, I mean, I've had people people who've given me their modems to lock in the trunk of my car, and then when they need to use their computer, we unlock the trunk of my car. They take their modem, they use it, they're safe, they put it back. Um, I've had people who've had visitors coming who were quite triggering to them. Um, and they didn't want to stay in their house, so they stayed outside of their house. I think one person, I think we went camping for two nights in a state park, uh, so they could stay off their battlefield, which for them was triggered by the people. Now they they visited during the day; they just didn't stay there at night. Um, I used to carry quarters, eight quarters taped to a index card in my wallet, so that I could always make phone calls. This is before we had cell phones. Um, I committed myself to, um, asking the, uh, if I'd stay in a hotel when I travel for work, that I'd ask them to take the hotel out of the room and I'd call ahead of time. I I'm coming to your city. If I stay at your hotel, will you take the hotel with TV out of the room? Yes. Uh, why do you need it out? Well, it's distracting to me and I have a lot of work to do. Okay. We can take it out. I get there. There's a ho- the TV still in the room, and I say called. You know, I called Mr. So and So, and he said you could take it out. Oh, um, well, we'd have to get the maintenance man. And I'm like, okay. They're like, yeah, but he's not here right now. He's just at home on call. I'm like, I'm sorry. So and So told me they would take, but by having the TV out of the hotel room and going through the embarrassment of kind of insisting and checking ahead that they were willing to do that. In 11 years, I never once looked at anything inappropriate on a TV in a hotel room on a business trip because there wasn't a TV in the hotel room. I didn't have to confront the battlefield. Now, it was inconvenient, and a lot of the things in SA, if I'm going to stay off my battlefield, are inconvenient. So there's a lot of this going to any lengths are inconvenient. Inconvenient maybe to make phone calls and go to meetings and make sure I get enough rest and eat right and all that stuff. It's inconvenient, but it is a whole lot less inconvenient than divorce or jail or being fired at work. I have a disease. It's inconvenient for my friends with diabetes, epilepsy, etc., to have to do what they have to do to stay recovered. And I'm sorry it's inconvenient, but I have a cunning, powerful, fatal disease. And I need to do what I need to do to stay. By the way, um, after about 11 years, they took the hotel. They took the TV out of my room. And and then I went into and that was all fine. And then I went into the bathroom and there was another TV there and it was bolted to the counter. I called my sponsor. I said, oh, my God, there's a TV in the room. It's bolted to the counter. He says, Judson, you've been doing this for 11 years. 
just go to bed. If you had a problem, give me a call. You know, and it was over. And I haven't had to deal with that at all. I mean, it's not a problem anymore. That issue is not a battlefield because I was willing to go to any lengths. And now it's not. So just see if there's anything here to, um, in terms of other things, willing to go to length. It may be uh, same as somebody who has another disease. I may need to do therapy or inpatient treatment or childhood trauma work or go on um, medicines for a psychiatrist. Um, but, you know, I, I, I know people who, who buy reading glasses and wear reading glasses when they go in a place where there's triggers so they can't see. Um, you know, there's all kinds of tricks, of, you know, with stuff, but it's, am I willing to go to any length? So, um, that's, uh, that's my time. And those are my thoughts for today. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. Thank you, Justin, for your great share. And I really needed to hear um, you're sure tonight. Actually, I have a I have the a feeling in which ends to a question. You know, I, I received the call from a past classmate, which I which I uh, which I um, haven't seen for last couple of years. I guess from the point that I intended my first essay meeting. Um, about around four years ago. And he was talking about his achievements and other guys that we we were um, classmates also. And after his call, I, I felt that I, I, I have no energy. I have no spiritual um, power inside me. I, I felt that, that, that I'm, uh, my, my connection is caught and is being caught. And uh, you know, you know the thing that I'm I'm intending to say that with these situations, I really can't can't accept my my disease and and the outcomes of my disease and the, the results of having this disease. And um, it's really hard for me to accept that I'm a, I'm a sick person and um, I I hurt my 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 life. I hurt my professional life. My I'm- Family life. Thank you. Um, just, just to wrap up. And how, how do you accept it, accept that? And how do you um, come out from self pityness and feeling like a victim? Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's an interesting question. I do have a lot. I went through a, and sometimes still have a lot of anger at my higher power. Um, particularly when I walked in the meeting, you know, I came in the meeting and I was like, why do I have to be with you guys? You guys are sick. And I wear a suit and tie to work and I go to church and I'm a nice guy and I shouldn't have to be in this basement with you. Um, and then they said, you know, that, uh, actually the, the, at the time the, uh, you couldn't share unless you had 30 days of sobriety in it. And what I found was for me, I couldn't stay stopped. 
I could stop for a week, 10 days, but I always came back and compulsively stopped. And that's how I learned I was addicted um, was by not being able to stop. But just real quickly, the, like I am personally not addicted to peanut butter and I hope that's not a trigger to anyone when I, but like, if you told me Judson, give up peanut butter for 30 days, I'm like, uh, that's not a big deal. I can give up peanut butter. I would not sneak into the kitchen at night in the dark and take the cap off and smell it and think about having it. That's what I did with lust. So that's how I know I was addicted. But I think there, for me, there was a lot of anger at God. Like, dude, this is not fair. I did not ask for this. I did not try to get this. I did not. And I think there's a legitimate grieving as there is for, you know, I had a friend in high school who was in an accident and lost the use of his legs. Uh, I have a friend with diabetes. I have a friend with epilepsy. I've got the friends right now with cancer. I think there's grieving and I think there's anger at a higher power, which is, I didn't ask for this. Why did you give me this? And uh, I, I almost think that's natural and human. And I and I don't know quite kind of how to get out of that place that's when I'm there. So I just call my sponsor and other people ahead of me and just keep sharing and talking about it and asking them, okay, what do I do? Because I don't want this to get in the way of my, <laughs> by the way, this is a longer answer. When I admitted that I was powerless, the image came to me that what it was like was having a policeman have me face down in a gravel parking lot, twisting my arm behind my back with a boot on my cheek, pressing it into the gravel saying, are you willing to stop fighting now? Are you willing to stop resisting arrest now? Are you willing to surrender now? And it took that kind of pain. I did not want to admit that I was powerless. Um, It took that much pain and so i think there's a legitimate grief i i didn't ask for it but i got it it's not my fault and i believe that clearly it is not my fault but it is sure as heck my problem and my responsibility nobody else's it is my problem and my responsibility so i have no other choice If I'm not going to continue to do it, I got no other choice than to go to any lengths and do whatever it takes to recover. Thank you. Thanks, Maureen and Judson. Next up, Sona. Yes, thank you. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Judson. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I uh, missed a great bulk of your talk. Uh, I used to uh, um, get the notification a day earlier, but uh, I didn't this time. So I just missed um, 
lots of your share. Uh, but this, uh, I think I just uh, captured five minutes of it. And these uh, five minutes <laughs> were enough to raise question in my mind that uh, what you were describing seemed to me like uh, living in jail and uh, Mm, depriving of uh, depriving yourself of uh, having a natural life uh, living like a robot uh, mm, and not confronting the real world building walls around yourself uh, uh, we don't dwell on fears so much and uh, you know uh, I, I wanted to ask uh, don't you think there might be other ways to you know, uh, personally, when I uh, uh, focus on my serenity, my peace of mind, my relationship with my higher powers, I can go to parties, mixed parties. Uh, I can meet my brothers, friends, and we can have fun and I'm back and I have my sobriety yet. Uh, and I had it. Uh, mm, so, it, you know, I Fine. think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. That's a great question and a great comment, too. And you probably correctly picked up on some of my fear, which is one of my greatest character defects. I have a lot of fear, and a lot of it comes out with obsession in terms of how do I avoid the things I'm afraid of? And my sponsor continues to call me out on that. Um, so I think it's one of the regular things. And I, so I think your comment is very um, appropriate. Uh, matter of fact, it says in the AA Big Book, you know, it says to the alcoholics, we can go to places where they're serving alcohol. We can go to parties. We can go, you know, as long as we're in the right spiritual condition. Um, I do lean more towards avoiding the battlefields. Um, and I don't know if that's right or wrong. Um, I certainly don't feel like, um, one, I think it's an appropriate critique of what I shared that it, it does sound a lot like living in jail. And I don't think that that's the purpose of our program. And then I should quickly say that, um, Whatever I share may be wrong because I don't have, I don't have the, you know, the, 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 the collective wisdom of everybody. Um, um, so, you know, and I'm still, as, as my sponsor would say, I'm still a muling puking infant in, uh, in this kind of, recovery to sanity. I do know that there are certain things that I need to do which are inconvenient for my recovery. If I have uh, if I have a medical condition for which I need to get dialysis, I need to go get dialysis. If I have a medical condition where I need to, like I have a friend who has epilepsy, um, who can't stay up late at night because uh, if they become tired, they have a greater chance of having a, uh, a seizure. So that's inconvenient. 
you might say, oh, well, she should just go out anyway, but that wouldn't be appropriate given her medical condition, at least according to her doctors. So I think there's probably a middle ground, um, you know, a middle ground of where to, to be to be smart and to minimize the probability of my igniting the craving and still with the blessing and guidance of my sponsor and counselor, etc., live in this world in a way that is, you know, functional. I certainly took my kids to swimming pools and beaches where there were people, uh, but I was going for the right reason to take my kids and focus on them and play in the water. Uh, but I'm glad you made that comment and I appreciate that. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Judson and Sona. Um, <clears throat> we have Richard G. and then Yaakov up next. And after that, uh, people with fewer than 30 days can share. So feel free to get into the virtual line. So Richard, go ahead. Thank you, Judson. Thank you very much for your talk. That was awesome. Um, how does what you said, how does your, let's call it your simple but brutal <laughs> method, yeah, right. I'm just going to call it that. Uh, it's not that, but it's simple, but difficult, whatever message. How does that apply to you as a, like to sponsoring, right? So you reference Harvey, apparently he doesn't talk to some, somebody who doesn't have less than two weeks of sobriety, you know, uh, you know, uh, I'm in Toronto, Canada, where we, my impression is we're very soft. No one fires anybody, puts up with all sorts of stuff. So right now I have five sponsees and, or rather as another person said, uh, about half of them, right? <laughs> How yeah, many sponsors, right. sponsors do you have? About half of them. So, um, you know, it, for myself personally, it took 10 years to, and I'm 11 years in, to finally get the program that it was not about stopping sexually acting out. It was about lust. So I love the grieving stuff that you talked about, the fact that I have to kind of live in a bubble. You didn't use that language, but I, I get it. And I'm finally there. Um but anyways, how does this apply to how you sponsor? Thanks. That's a great question. And I think there are lots of different kinds of sponsors. Um, you mentioned Harvey, who I adore, um, but who is, <laughs> it can be pretty brutal sometimes. He can also be incredibly loving and kind. Um, but um Different sponsors dip, sponsor different ways. And I asked three people to be sponsors when I came in um, and have a bunch of people who are co-sponsors. And I gravitate to those who have the same, a similar personality to me. Uh, in answer to your question directly, I tend to be fairly gentle and I tend to try to get the message over and over and over that you are a good and worthwhile person. You are worthy of recovery and recovering today. Um, and today is all we've got. Last week's sobriety does me as much good as last week's shower. It's, it's useless to me. Today is all I've got. And that that's all that matters. Um, it just, it's, it's nice 
because I don't have the damage today that I might have done. But it sure, you know, I got to do what I got to do to stay clean today. So I, if somebody is going off on a drunkalog um, and just, you know, whatever, I typically cut the phone call short. Um, I frequently don't answer the phone for some people. I just let them leave a message. And then I respond to the message with a text um, or a quick voicemail. Um, I'm done good in my codependency recovery and I don't stick on the phone or interrupt anything I'm supposed to be doing uh, to rescue somebody. They have a boatload of uh, phone list and numbers and so forth that they can use. That's not entirely true. I, I will try to help people, particularly if they're in crisis and things like that, but, but not if they're, um, I will do what my sponsor has done with me. He never told me what to do. He listened to me and then he would simply say, well, for me, I would do this. He never told me what to do, never required me to do anything. Okay, I'm back. I apologize. My computer died, and I've just dialed in through my telephone. Okay, no problem. Yeah, if you need to keep the video off to keep the connection, feel feel free. Um, uh, Yakov, you're up next. Oh, hi, my name is Yakov, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, I would like to ask a question about what you were speaking about. Um, you said that I should try to avoid battlefields. And today, I was on the bus, and I looked out of the window, because I like seeing the view, and there were many... I, I took some looks. I took some looks. And uh, I wanted to take off the, to take down the screen, whatever's there. Um, and I took it down, and I felt terrible. I felt like I'm fighting. I did not manage to get God into my life by doing that. Um, I tried it. I tried it a few times. I tried closing my eyes. I tried looking down. I tried being on my phone for half an hour just not to look around. And it kept, it kept me clean, but it, it felt terrible. And what I did today and what I tried doing, but does not work from the other way, and that's why I'm asking the question, is that I, after like two minutes, I picked up the screen. I kept looking at, at uh, I kept not looking, I kept seeing. I kept seeing uh, lots of, uh, lots of uh, girls or whatever. And I just needed to pray. I needed to keep, it was hard. I did have uh, little times when I was, oh, I just looked at someone. I need to pray on her over and over again. It was kind of exhausting, I'm, but I knew that I'm not fighting. And I wanted to know, how can I, how can I run away from battlefields without fighting? Because when I fight, I lose. That's it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. That's a wonderful. Um, if I fight, I lose. And I like that because I've often said to others, if I go out on the battlefield, um, I'm going to, you know, if somebody surrenders, they get off the battlefield. That's kind of the definition of surrender. It's like, I'm going to get off the battlefield. 
Um, and um, so there, I'm getting my video right. So how do I not? But the problem is, if I have the initial trigger, then the craving is ignited. And then once it's ignited, then I'm fighting. So how do I keep from getting that very first uh, trigger going? And uh, we laugh at, uh, about old timers, how we're really good at looking at the sidewalk and studying different kinds of rock patterns in the sidewalk and how we know about sidewalks in so many parts of towns and cities because we're looking at the sidewalk because we don't want to get the first drink. So for me, I might consider, um, um, you know, how do I have somebody on the phone with me? Maybe in a texting or how am I listening on the phone to a meeting or something that engages my mind when I get on the bus or the public transport. So I don't, I mean, I have many times gotten up and changed my seat on an airplane or on a bus um, or in a restaurant. So I am not trying to fight the trigger. Um, maybe sitting in the middle of the seat, uh, middle of the aisle. So I can't be next to the window. Um you know, or sitting in the way back in the middle seat, whatever it takes for me to avoid igniting the craving uh, is usually where I can keep myself more serene because then I'm not triggered and I'm not fighting if I can do that. other and, and other people will probably have other suggestions too that may be much better than mine. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, Judson and Rocco. Uh, the floor is still open. We have time for one, maybe two quick shares or questions. <clears throat> My name is Lee, and I'm a real sexaholic. I just wanted to share that I was at Judson's very first meeting. And... Uh, Judson came in dressed in a suit and tie around this table of, you know, ragged-looking sexaholics. And he looked at us with a lot of, what in the world am I doing? A lot of suspicion. And um, just so you might say, I was sitting in that meeting. I looked at him and I said, this guy's never going to make it. Uh, it's just, we just might forget him. And uh, here we are showing how accurate my judgment was uh, 34 plus years later. So nobody's hopeless is what I want to say. Not even Judson. Nobody's hopeless. Uh, if you just jump in and do the thing. So uh, I just wanted to share that his life is a miracle. He doesn't avoid life. He has lived a remarkable life with a wife and two children, which he started in sobriety and maintained his sobriety through it all. That's all I got to say. Thank you, Lee. 
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.